باب النهي عن عن التشبه بالشيطان والكفار الفيهما للجنس فيصدق بكل فرد من ذلك so this is a chapter regarding the prohibition of tashabbuh going out of your way to resemble shaitan or non-muslims here the knowledge of sarf of Arabic morphology, morphology comes in handy and that is in that tashabbuh is in the wazan of tafa'ala yatafa'alu it's in the tafa'ul wazan indicating the meaning of the jither mujarrad done with takalluf so shabiha yashbahu means for something to resemble another tashabbaha yatashabbahu means for someone or something to go out of their way in order to look like another so if you naturally look like one of any things you know you're like hey look i was born my skin is crimson red i have a tail my eyebrows are sharp nothing grows on my beard other than a pointy goatee you look like shaitan you're born that way that's this hadith is not talking about you or whatever the common uh, whatever the common cultural uh, conception is of what shaitan looks like likewise a person looks like another kafir a person is born looking like some sort of celebrity or they're born looking like some sort of politician or some sort of fasif or fajr or there's a particular qawm that is well known for their enmity toward Islam and to Muslims or for killing Muslims or whatever and you were born that way you happen to look like that or you live amongst a qawm that has habits that are similar to that this chapter is not talking about you this chapter is talking about those who conscientiously do things in order to look like non-Muslims and Nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala and Ibn Allan mentioned that the Alif Lam here with Al-Kuffar is there to indicate anyone from that set. So it doesn't mean that, well, you know, some Kafirs look like this and some of them don't. So that's not, you know, I'm not under the aegis of this, uh, of this commandment. No, rather, he explicitly says, he makes a point with regards to the Arabic language, that the alif lam means any of the afrad, any of the individuals that are there within the genus. Uh, in or, if you go out of your way to look like them or to resemble them, this is a sin, it's a disease of the heart. Whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's Joe Biden, whether it's a particular soccer player or basketball player or football player or baseball player or hockey player, or wrestler, or fighter, or scientist, or whatever. To go out of your way to resemble them. This is a sin, this is a disease. And he will then bring a hadith of Rasulullah wasallam in order to substantiate this rule that he lays out. Now, this is not to be confused with, for example, learning something from somebody. Why? Because useful and gainful knowledge 
the, the maxim with regards to useful and gainful knowledge is what? Al-hikmatu dhalatul mu'min That wisdom is the last property of the believer Wherever he finds it, he has more right to it So if someone figures out something in math Someone figures out some engineering problem Somebody figures out some whatever it is How to slam dunk a basketball better than the last guy Learning that one beneficial thing is as permissible as it is beneficial. But going out of your way to resemble somebody, to look like someone, to talk like somebody, this is, this is the problem, this is a problem. This is one of the reasons I, it really scratches the chalkboard of my soul. When we have very popular, very popular uh, uh, figures in North America that will go up on stage and they will say, well, if the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was alive today, he would have worn a suit and tie. If he was alive today in America, he would have worn a suit and tie. And he's not alive today in America, is he? This type of speculation opened the door for shaitan to mess with somebody. And on top of that, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam will hear what he had to say on the matter. And on top of that, if a person brings some sort of interpretation that's different than this, the fact of the matter is the Messenger of Allah وسلم, did. I can almost a dozen things from hadith, I can name off the top of my head that he did in order to not resemble the people around him. The mushrikeen of Quraysh used to drag the hem of their lower garment beneath their ankles. He used to keep it above his ankles to somewhere between half of the shin and the ankle. He used to wear white, they used to wear all sorts of colors, he used to prefer white and they didn't. He used to sallallahu alayhi wa sallam dress simply, they used to dress opulently. He used to sallallahu alayhi wa sallam himself and others command them to wear a hat and a turban together because he said the children of Israel, they either wear a hat or a turban so you wear both of them together in order to be distinguished from them. He used to sallallahu alayhi wasallam when he was amongst the mushrikeen who would wear their hair down, he used to part his hair, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. When he was amongst the Yahud of Medina who used to part their hair, he would wear his hair down. He would make it clear in a non-flamboyant and a non-offensive way that he is different and he's somebody different. And the Muslims used to make it clear that they are different than others. That they are different than others. And this is one of those things for whatever reason, the men are all cowards in this thing and they relegated it to women because of certain cultural matters. Women, it's harder for them to follow the bare minimum dictate of the Sharia and cover their heads when they're outside and not immediately look different. Whereas with the men, they say, oh, my nakedness is between the navel and the knees, so I'm gonna go out into the world and be undercover brother. And this is not right. It's not right. Someone may object, say, oh, well, this is the dress of my home. You know, especially people who are uh, indigenous Americans in the sense that they're, they have multi-generational uh, connections to this land and no other culture to fall back on. It's fine. Nobody says you have to dress up like a Pakistani. But these couple of guidelines that are there amongst the, uh, uh, amongst the hadith of the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam, they still apply to you. On top of that, this idea of not trying to blend in deliberately, this also applies to you whether you're born Muslim or a convert. And on top of that, every Muslim is obliged to, to a reasonable degree, 
look like a Muslim, not try to hide their Islam and tell her unless there's some sort of overwhelming need like you're in a place where people kill Muslims or something like that. But that level of need, when you get there, all of fiqh changes. We're not talking about that. We're talking about under normal circumstances. If you're at that level of need, it becomes wajib for a person. If it's continuously that way, it becomes wajib for a person, obligatory for a person to make hijrah, to leave that land of confusion, to leave that land of difficulty, to leave that land of constraint circumstances and go where a person can practice their deen. Uh, uh, and only fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in general this is how this has been obviously there's more to all of these than the, that but we're not talking the dars is not about the siyar the international relations as conceived of by the sharia the dars is about what the prohibition of going out of your way to resemble shaitan or the kuffar the non-believers those who belie and deny belief and jabir and radiallahu ta'ala anhu قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا تأكلوا بالشمال فإن الشيطان يأكل بالشمال رواه مسلم سيدنا جابر رضي الله تعالى عنهم ابن عبد الله رضي الله عنهم said that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said don't eat with your left hand because shaitan eats with his left hand now this is not a moral condemnation of lefties if you're left handed that's okay. I'm here to tell you that's okay. You're not a bad Muslim. You're not a kafir. You're not a shaitan. It so happens that shaitan eats with his left hand. So the Prophet ﷺ obeyed all Muslims to, at least in this one thing, make mukhalafa of shaitan. To do the opposite of what shaitan does. If you're a lefty and you write with your left hand, good for you. Power to you. If you're a lefty and you like to shoot the ball with your left hand or you can, uh, you know, press a kettlebell heavier with your left hand than your right hand or any of those things, that's 100% okay. Your left leg is stronger than your right. That's 100% okay. All of those things are 100% okay. I've heard, I asked my sheikh this question. I said, what if somebody is like born left-handed? They say that, you know, forcing a person to do everything with their right hand might cause some sort of neurological uh, uh, trouble for a person He says you don't have to do any of those things Just don't eat with your left hand Eating with the, I mean, eating is not like the most complex thing you're going to do It's not like as difficult as playing the piano Or like you know Fixing uh, jewelry or whatever It's not It's not like a fine Skilled craft You're just taking you know, Depending on where you're from Bread or rice or maybe uh, protein If you're trying to put on gains uh, You're just taking it From a plate and moving it, what, like a foot and a little bit more, maybe if you're smaller, just a foot, to your face. It's a relatively wide uh, uh, orifice to uh, shovel the food into, wider for some of us than others. It's not that difficult and it's not that deep. And the rest of it, whatever you do with your left, go ahead and do it, inshallah. وعن ابن عمر رضي الله تعالى عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لا يأكلن أحدكم بشماله ولا يشربن بها فَإِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ يَأْكُلُ بِشِمَالِهِ وَيَشْرَبُ بِهَا رَوَاهُ مُسْلِمْ Both of these are narrations of Muslim. The second one by Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhuma who said that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said with a double emphatic No, do not, do not, do not, indeed do not eat, uh, let not one of you eat with his left, nor let one of you drink with his left. Because indeed shaitan eats with his left and he drinks with his left. 
وعن أبي هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنهم أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إن اليهود والنصارى لا إن اليهود والنصارى لا يسبغرن فخالفوهن والمراد خضم شعر اللحية والرأس الأبيض بصفرة أو حمرة وأما السواد فمنهي عنه كما سنذكره في الباب بعده إن شاء الله تعالى So Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radhi Allah ta'ala who narrates that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that the Jews and the Christians they don't dye their hair so do the opposite of them and Nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala adds a note he says that khadr that to dye with hanna the hair of the beard or of the head that is white with some dye that is either yellow or that is uh, red. Uh, this is what's meant by this. Yasbugurna. La yasbugurna. The point is that uh, it's either red or yellow, not black. You're not supposed to dye your hair black when it becomes white. And the reason for that is people then use it to cheat uh, when they are uh, like trying to get married or something like that. And uh, you try to act like you're like 30 and you cheat somebody. A woman cheats a man, a man cheats a woman. And they lie about what their age is. Uh, and that's why that is, in general, not permitted. However, for example, it is permitted in certain cases. So imagine someone is a mujahid in the path of Allah Ta'ala. And they want to look more uh, terrifying to the enemy. And they don't want to look like this is a geriatric brigade. That's, uh, you know, New Horizons, Sunny Living Center. Uh, just sent their, you know, their dialysis unit out to, to fight. It's not going to intimidate the enemy, right? So if that's the case, that's one of the exceptions to the rule. But the rule is what? Is that uh, you're allowed to dye your uh, hair red. In fact, you're supposed to dye your head in the illa. The, the reason for it is what? Is because the Jews and the Christians did not used to do that uh, in, Ar in Arabia. Now, that may not be the case anymore. Jews and Christians dye their hair all the time, otherwise like L'Oreal would be out of business, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, still for a man, for example, for a man to dye his hair with a henna is something that is, you know, something that will make you stand out. I remember when I was in Seattle, like in college, like Somali elder got up on the bus and he was rolling with his red hair. And I'm like, what? Uh, Afro-Irish uh, 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 venerable sheikh just got up on the bus. And then afterward, I was like, what is that? And someone's like, that's henna. That's, that's, they dye their hair. Uh, they dye their hair with that. So, I mean, it may, be, it may actually distinguish you from some, someone or another. It may not. I don't know. But the point is, is that, uh, you know, whether or not this is an appropriate thing for you and me to do. I realize some of you are young. Like, this is like the fic of old people for you, right? But for us, you know, Allah give you long life. You'll get there. You'll get there one day. And then you'll be like, oh, I think I heard something about this or whatever. Uh, and, and in that case, it's a sunnah to dye your hair. There's another author that he didn't include in this uh, uh, in this chapter, which is over now. There are three, uh, three, three uh, hadith that are mentioned in it. 
And I suspect it's because it may not be the strongest chain of narration. He has a relatively discriminating standard of what he includes in the book so that nobody gets bogged down uh, in a discussion with someone with some scholarship as to whether this is sahih or not. There are definitely many ahadith that are not here that are sahih, uh, but uh, he tries to have like an even higher standard just so nobody jousts the, the, the reader and it can go in easy. But there's an ethic attributed to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, من تشبه بقوم فهو منهم The one who goes out of his way to resemble a people, he's one of them. That's very scary. That's very scary. Especially nowadays, we see this, right? We see some people are like diehard Democrats, diehard Republicans. Imagine on the Day of Judgment, you see Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You see his companions Abu Bakr and Umar, Uthman and Ali radiallahu anhu with him. You see Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. You see the mothers of the believers radiallahu anhunna wa alayhin salam. You see the, the, the contingent of Badr and the vanguard of Uhud uh, and the army of Fath and the Ashab al Bay'ah. And you see all of these people, the awliya, the mashaykh, that they're all moving in a procession toward Jannah. And you're like, why am I so far from them? And you look to the left and look to the right and you see Donald Trump or you see uh, 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 Sleepy Joe. Uh, that's funny right now, but at that time it will be 100% utterly terrifying. It will be completely terrifying. You will have blown your chance. And it was 100% certified totally without any doubt, uh, uh, complete level 7 halal certified, not worth it. So don't, don't do that, don't go there. Make sure that, that, uh, that you're amongst the, the people that uh, are the people of victory on the Day of Judgment, no matter what difficulty it gives you in this world. Nobody, you know, you're, trust me, your favorite sports team or your uh, favorite uh, politicians, or what, they're not going to do anything for you on that day. Uh, the only one who, who, whose connection benefits is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Someone says, well, what about Allah? Uh, yes, Allah Ta'ala on that day made Jannah haram on anyone who didn't accept Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Someone says, well, what about the people before him? All the prophets before him foretold his coming and it was a rukun of the iman of every Nabi. From Sayyidina Adam Alayhi Salam until the end of time, that it is a, a, a pillar of iman, it's a pillar of faith. If you destroy it, it will cause the entire edifice of faith to crumble down and break into pieces which is what belief in Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is nubuwa. And all of them, when they heard their Anbiya alayhi wa sallam describe him, they all gladly believed in him because who would not want to believe in him? Uh, so when you want to make tashabbah, and I mentioned this as well, that oftentimes people take all of these things like only in the negative meaning. And there's a, a rule in understanding uh, the deen of Allah Ta'ala that in anything that there's immense negativity, there's another side of the coin in which there's immense positivity and hope as well in the same, in the same mas'ala. So, man tashabbaha biqawmin fahuwa minhum, it means if you try to act like you, uh, you know, if you try to act like you're uh, one of these, like whatever CIA prop uh, uh, celebrities that they put up out, out there to do tours and just basically indoctrinate people into... Uh, the genocidal uh, genocidal uh, imperium. You'll be one of them. That's really scary. What's the flip side of the coin? The flip side of the coin is if you try to act like the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Okay, that's difficult, right? You try to look like the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then you'll be one of his people on the other side, right? 
And people are like, what is this? It's harder to follow the sunnah of forgiving people and of praying on time and doing this and speaking the truth and blah, blah, blah. It's so easy just to wear a, a bunch of clothes. Islam is not just wearing a certain type of clothes. Yeah, I agree. It's easy to grow a beard. It's hard to like always tell the truth. I agree. So why would you leave it on the table? It's so easy. That you looked at, it's a piece of love poetry. It's not really anything ostensibly that has to do with the sharia. That you were looking at you, something about you reminded me of my enemies so much that I started to love my enemies as well. Because the thing I got from looking at you, I started getting from looking at them as well. So imagine that Allah Ta'ala sees, He says that this is my Habib Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. These are my khawas, these ulama, these mashayikh, these people of dhikr, these mothers who sacrifice for their children, these fathers who uh, sacrifice and work hard in order to pay for rent and put halal on the table and dra- you know pay for their kids to go to maktab. These uh, brothers and sisters who love each other for the sake of Allah Ta'ala, they love their children, they love their nieces and nephews, they love their fellow Muslim for the sake of Allah. They come on a, uh, uh, you know, an otherwise free Sunday afternoon in order to hear what the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had to say. If you sit in their majlis, Allah Ta'ala already said that. We read that hadith in the Ba'ad of the Fadlu, Hilaq al-Dhikr. The topic was the virtue of the circles of remembering Allah Ta'ala. And if you think that saying Allah Allah and reading the Burda is the only way of making the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala, actually the, the reading of the hadith is also the dhikr of Allah. Not just because you say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, but it works your brain in a way that makes you understand something about Allah Ta'ala. The halaqa in which you read the book of Allah Ta'ala and understand its ma'ani, or you read Nahu and Sarf in order to read the Qur'an, or you read the fiqh and sharia that people find dry and boring, or whatever. All of those things are different branches of the remembrance of Allah. Just like saying Allah, Allah is different than saying La ilaha illallah. Saying La ilaha illallah is different than praying. So praying is different than making tawaf. Tawaf is different than fasting. Fasting is different than reading Qur'an, reciting Qur'an. Just like that. These are also, you know, these other things are also the remembrance of Allah. So you went and your mind is wandering from here to there. You're thinking about how much Bitcoin costs or, you know, you're thinking about like, you know, which day they have the better ice cream at lunch in school. Or you're thinking about, I don't know, uh, what you're going to say to the girl who annoyed you at school. Like, you know, and when she tries to shove you in the locker, you'll step to the side and like her, you know, her, her head will bang into the metal. I don't know. What if people think about it? God knows all sorts of things. You know, if I told you what I think about, maybe you would never come back to Darsaber again. So I'm not going to share that. But all, all sorts of things people think about, right? So then the angels will ask Allah Ta'ala, what about, uh, what about this guy? He wasn't even paying attention. No, Allah Ta'ala will tell the angels, those are such a people, even the ones who keep their company, who like just love to keep their company and think it's a good thing. These are good people. I should at least like sit with them or get up with them. Maybe I'll get something out of it. Such people, they never, they're never wretched. That, that's enough just to keep their company makes you happy. Just like that, looking like a people, you know, it's very rare that a person is so wretched, so wretched that they will go out of their way to look like the Prophet ﷺ and they won't get something out of it. Now, of course, this is not licensed for you to put on your like uh, hijab and jilbab and kebab and all this other stuff. 
and then like go act like a, a yahoo outside or to wear your beard and your turban and whatever and act like a yahoo outside you know try to try your best to like keep it together some of us have more tawfiq than others but the point is is this don't abandon it just because of shaitan whispers something in your ear there's a great khair in it if you try to go look like someone Allah Ta'ala is not going to unless someone is running some sort of deeper level scam which is other than this Allah Ta'ala is not going to burn somebody uh, who thinks it's good to at least look like his Habib Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and that's really wonderful that's wonderful and for the sisters mashallah obviously this doesn't mean to dress up like Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam because last week we mentioned the la'na of Allah Ta'ala on those women who dress like men and on those men who dress like women but the point is the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the members of his household he also used to direct them to dress a certain way and behave a certain way you can follow those sunan and for you that is what uh, following the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is in the way that you look and there's a lot of khair, there's a lot of good, goodness in it there's a lot of goodness in it may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all tawfiq babun nahi anil qaz'i wa huwa halqu ba'din ra'si duna ba'din wa ibahatu halqihi kullihi lirrajuli duna almara'ati this is a chapter regarding the prohibition of tonsure tonsure is what Monks used to do the shave part of the head and not shave another part. So I'm sorry if some people wanted to be like some sort of kung fu champion or whatever, uh, or if somebody wanted to like you know dress like a friar or whatever. That's already haram from the previous chapters anyway. But you know, in case someone missed the memo, uh, uh, it's it's haram to shave part of the head and and uh, uh, keep some of it unshaved. And the, the chapter regarding the permission to shave the entire head for men, not for women. Ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhuma qala naha rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam an al-qaz'i muttafaqun alayhi wa anhu qala ra'a rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sabiyan qad huliqa ba'adhu ra'sihi wa turika ba'adhuhu fanahahum an thalika wa qala hliqu احلقوه كله أو اتركوه كله رواه أبو داود بإسناد صحيح على شرط البخاري ومسلم. so two hadiths one from Sayyidina, both of them from Sayyidina Abdullah bin Umar may Allah Taala be pleased with both of them that uh, said that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam prohibited uh, tonsure and in the second narration uh, uh, from him as well that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam saw a baby who whose head was partially shaved and whose head was partially left and so he forbade that from them and he said shave all of it or, or leave all of it so i didn't know that like when i was i didn't know that and you know god bless my uh, parents and god bless america uh, uh but i didn't know that and i don't think my parents knew that so i used to roll around like a punk as a kid with an undercut like a like a wannabe skater i was a total skater except for i didn't know to skateboard other than that you know it, it didn't last long it was like for like a year and a half or something like that you know but like corduroy pants baggy pants and like you know complete hair cut underneath and long hair on the top that used to come over and we went to umrah and boy uh in arabia uh, it was not a hit and for good reason but i had no idea and so uh yeah uh, it, you know, I had no idea. Then later on, I realized that, uh, yeah, this is not cool. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to do this. So, I either shave my entire head or leave my entire head unshaved.
وعن عبد الله بن جعفر رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أمهل آل جعفر ثلاثا ثم أتاهم فقال لا تبكوا على أخي بعد اليوم ثم قال ادعوا لي بني أخي فجاء بنا كأننا أفرح أفرخ عفوا فقال ادعوا لي الحلاق فأمره بحلق رؤوسنا رواه أبو داود بإسناد صحيح على شرط البخاري So uh, uh, Sayyidina Abdullah bin Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhum Ja'far bin Abi Talib He's the brother of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhum And he is the uh, the Cousin, first cousin of the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa He was martyred in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala In the battle of Mu'tah uh, In the northern uh, frontier Of Arabia Where it bordered the, uh, uh, the Lands where the armies of the Romans Were occupying and so they engaged the Romans, but they were completely outnumbered and uh, outmatched. And so they gave them a very tough fight, but they had to do an ordered retreat. And then when they went for Tabuk, it was basically like supposed to be a re- rematch for that. But uh, the Romans never showed up. They kind of evacuated that area because they felt that it was holding it was not worth it because it's too hard of a fight, and um, th- there's nothing for them to take over there. So. Uh, Sayyidina Ja'far ibn Abi Talib anhu, He was the second in command of the army The first in the command of the army was Sayyidina Zayd bin Haritha One of the people that baby Zayd was named after May Allah ta'ala be pleased with him And also with all of, all of you ladies and gentlemen and myself as well Amin. And those listening and those not listening from the Ummah Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ameen so he was the, the commander, he was first martyred in the path of Allah Ta'ala, so then his second in command took the flag, and he was uh, martyred in the path of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, and then uh, uh, the Abdullah bin Rawaha, radiallahu anhu, he was martyred in the path of Allah, and he took the flag. Those were the three commanders of the army that were appointed. After that, they didn't know who, who should they make commander, so Sayyidina Khalid bin Walid, radiallahu ta'ala, who was a relatively new convert they knew that he had a lot of expertise in, in strategy and in, in war and so they decided that they'll make him commander and so he effected a stratagem that saved the army from completely being routed and uh, that's a, a, a very interesting story that perhaps actually is worthwhile to mention right now that he basically had them retreat and pitch camp and he ordered everybody to light a fire because he usually light one fire for every 10 men so it made the army look like it was much bigger than it actually was. And he ordered uh, the, them to pitch camp behind a mountain and have the army march in circles. So it looks like more reinforcements are coming so that the Romans don't like press their advantage. This is something, always remember this, inshallah, if you ever have to fight a battle, uh, uh, which is that losing a battle is not that big of a deal. If you are in a place that you engage the enemy, the enemy seems to have an advantage. There's no benefit in staying there and getting killed. Rather, if you retreat in an orderly fashion that minimizes casualties, you still have some part of your, your, your army left. And then you can choose another time and another place to engage the enemy that is in your favor rather than against you. However, if the enemy is smart enough that they drive you into a situation where you're pinned down with a disadvantage, they'll just keep killing, 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 killing. And they'll do what they refer to in military strategy as a route. And once your men are all dead or your army is all dead, uh, then you don't live in a, to fight another day. That's when the war is over. 
So he saved the, the army from rout, basically, because he intimidated them that they thought there was this huge army that's such a tough fight the last day. So they thought there's a huge army uh, coming. And so they were timid to pursue them. And then they retreated and left that place. Um, and so they were all, all three of them were seen in a vision that they were going in a trajectory toward Jannah. And so because of that, because of that vision, Sayyidina Jafar ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu was mulaqqa bitayyar, the Jafar like the bird who flies. Uh, uh, so he he uh, was seen like that, and Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam received the uh, received the news of their shahada before the messengers came back, and uh, uh, through through wahi. And so what happened was he gave the family of Jafar three days before visiting them. Why? Because that's the mourning period that is allowed, and he didn't want to get up on them and tell them like, okay, no, because he knew they were going to be distraught, small children and uh, a widow and like you know they lost who was a very wonderful person and he really resembled the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam physically he's a very beautiful person as well uh, inwardly and outwardly and he was one of the rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam's close people and uh, so after three days he went and he told him don't cry anymore over my brother after this day because it was his cousin his first cousin he said don't cry over my brother after this day Abu Talib actually took care of the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam for some time when he was growing up and he also took care of uh, some of Abu Talib's children including Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He said, don't cry over my brother after this day. Then he said, call uh, uh, the sons of my my uh, brother to me. So they were all, they all said, they said, we came like little chicks, like little chicks like you know how even in, in Punjabi we used to call like little baby chucha. We came like little chicks, we were so innocent. We were not really processing what's going on around us, uh, and uh, um, he he said, "Call call the uh, the barber," and he he told the barber to shave our heads. Meaning what? Like whatever happened in the past, that pain and suffering, it's done now. Now you have a new beginning. Like you know, start moving on, which is one of the reasons why uh, you know we shave our heads after after Umrah and after Hajj, uh, and uh, obviously uh, you know we'll get onto it in the next other as well. This is one Ali and Radiallahu Taala and who akaram Allah who wajha who call and a hair of Sulullah, his Allah, who Ali, he was Selma and Tahlikal Muratura Saha, Rawahun Nasai. Said Ali Radiallahu and who narrates that the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, forbade women from shaving their heads. And it's a Sahih narration of the Sunan of Imam al Nasai. Uh, anhu. And so the women, the, you know, one of the reasons for that is that their their jamal, their beauty is in their hair, and it kind of disfigures them. To for them to shave their head disfigures them. It makes them no longer look like uh, women the way that they were created on their fitrah. And it's recommended for women not to cut their hair until and unless it's necessary. And it's haram for them to shave their head if they need to cut their hair. That's permissible, but it's haram for them to shave their head. It's also haram for them to shave their head in, um, in Hajj and Umrah. And so if they you know, hear all the reward of shaving your head in Hajj and Umrah and they get excited about it, and say, oh, we want to do it because look how much reward Rasulullah promised for the person who shaves his head. We say, no, for, for the ladies, the sunnah is to, uh, to shorten your hair, to take qadrul anmula, like a finger section length from every ha hair on the head, 
off and for them because it's a sunnah whatever this is the rule that whatever is different for someone in a particular circumstance for them to follow the sunnah will always get them more reward than breaking the sunnah and doing what someone else is doing like what a man would do or a poor person breaking the sunnah and doing what a rich person would do or whatever etc from from the sunnah that, that are not really theirs to, to be followed and so the sisters they get the full reward if they do it with the intention of the sunnah and uh, it's very difficult for me to restrain my uh, lack of enthusiasm for those who go to the sacred lands and they don't uh, they don't shave their heads unless they you know some people have like some sort of like, like really like horrible rash or skin condition I'm not talking about them you know but I'm talking about people who are like you know I've got to have my haircut look a certain way on Monday I'm like the whole point of the entire thing is that you're not supposed to look that way you're supposed to look like a Muslim uh, may Allah Ta'ala give all of us tawfiq Ameen. wa sallallahu ta'ala ala rasulihi sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in